we have been right. We were always right. Go to iTunes. Give us a five-star review for being right about UFC 200, and I'm going to sum it up and bring in Raph for analysis. It's time for Verbal Tap, the show that proves fighting is easier from outside the cage, and you'll keep your wits about you, as we have. Conor McGregor tweeted today he's fighting at UFC 200. Nate Diaz says he's going on vacation, unless that's true. And Dana White says Connor isn't fighting. You are caught up with where we are right now. Raph, how are you doing this evening? Great. Uh, that's a decent summary. I don't feel it really takes in the fan fervor. No, it does lack a certain poetry. Because the fans seem to be very convinced. This is amazing. How amazing. Is this killer for them? Let's just talk brass tacks for a second. Okay. Because it's a 60s film all of a sudden this is best case scenario for the ufc right now right this is amazing okay so to catch you guys up we did a podcast uh maybe like four or five days conor mcgregor tweeted out that he was retired he's not retired we all knew that but we were trying to figure out what exactly the play was here so it turns out the play was to try and get people to go on his side which is a strange thing to do if you tweet out that you're retired first Uh, It seems like a bold, ballsy kind of strategy, one that we can kind of associate with Conor McGregor. And some people were saying that, yeah, maybe he was so affected by that person dying uh, that, you know, he saw die in front of his face that he was like, I don't want to fight anymore, which. Nope, not at all. Not the case. Never felt. All right. right, So never seem right. No, no, that that theory just didn't seem to to click. And we were right to kind of just go, well, I mean, it's terrible and. We don't want to make light of that strategy, but it's not the case for him saying he's retiring. Well, it turns out, yeah, he says he's not retired. He expects to fight at UFC 200 or that he's now ready to fight at UFC 200 in which he's already pissed off Dana enough where he's like, no fucking way. So we've reached an interesting accord because guess what's happening here? Now the public is getting to see Conor McGregor have to dig a little bit deeper. So Conor put out this entire lengthy statement. Kevin, what were the bullet points of that statement? That he's fighting at UFC 200, and he's really excited. Some other bullet points, though, if we are being specific, talk about the demands that fighters have to do. That means all of the press arrangements that they have to do. Now, this is interesting to me for a particular reason. Has he, though? I'm shocked, too. I, I thought he loved it. Like, I get it. I I do understand. He makes a point that saying every Susie and Tim is asking him uh, random questions when they don't care about the sport. Please tell me other sports do this. I think he with his Irish accent. Do it. Do it with a just pretend like you could try. a. (laughs) I just like that. Yeah. yeah. If I were to just, you know, amateur status my way in doing an impression. Yeah. Let me see if he did say that. It would be like shoot from the hip. Oh, you would like that, wouldn't you? With every Susie and Tim asking me yeah. questions about me, Mooney. Oh, fuck off. It does sound I don't better. need okay. you guys. Okay, perfect. Good. Yeah, we're great. That's awesome. Susie, it sounds talk. awesome in Irish. That's good. Yeah. Ballparking what that might sound like. Here's <laughs> the reason why it's dumb, though. So, again, he's making the point now. This is bigger than him. It's the fact that he suddenly realized after signing a contract that, hey, guess what? I don't want to do the things that made all of my fights previously exciting. So 
it seems to be combining two different issues. Now, I could understand this as a play, kind of in poker, where you take the advantage. You say, well, you know what? You're pot committed, so now I'm going to force your hand. And that's an interesting game to play with a noted gambler in Dana White, who didn't, and I have to say, I kind of actually respect this. He didn't take the bluff. I respect the move, but now we're just in an ego competition. So if you guys really think that this is a thing that Conor McGregor is using as leverage to stand up against the UFC. It is, in my opinion, a byproduct of it. It is him. Sure. He could use that position as saying, okay, now that you spent all this money promoting me in a fight, I'm going to walk away because I don't get to skip out and be better than everybody else who has to come in because I want to make the statement that I think it's a shame that other people have to go. And you lose that point when you try to point out your exceptionalism and saying that everybody else should be up there because they didn't make the company $400 million when everybody else shows up. Now, Kevin, let me ask you, what do you think is the flip side of that coin that Connor didn't think about? I don't think he – so in this whole thing, I just don't think he ever thought there was a place where Dana wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, swing on back by. Drive drive your Lambo up the night before weigh-ins. And we'll be ready to go. I just don't think he thought this would hit a grindstone. Now, I still have the sneaking suspicion that they're in collusion with this. Very well could be because maybe ticket sales aren't what they should be. Maybe oh, there's not enough media interest. I don't know. You the, even th- I don't even think it's that. I think they just really wanted to make – I just think this is all 200 ego. I think they wanted to make 200 a bash. And they were like, how do we really – because you're, I mean, you might be right. Maybe people weren't as excited about the Diaz McGregor rematch, <laughs> and that could very well be. So they did it. But I, it all, I, I had always assumed they just did it because they were like, we can make this huge. And Nate Diaz is the perfect person to just hang out <laughs> until we make a decision. Can I? Well, ask before you, we get to, but wait, wait, wait. Before we get to Nate Diaz, this is why I bring this up. How's he the least talked about person in this story right now? That's my favorite. Like that he's because he's just, on cloud nine right now for he, a he number look, of reasons. He looks so happy. He just does. He's got this happiness to him. So good. So here's what I don't think Conor McGregor fans really get to refute, which is this. Conor McGregor is a great fighter. I think he is very persuasive. I think he's made some great funny jokes. He is captivating. He is charismatic. But the one thing you can't refute right now is that in a rematch that he demanded and asked for, instead of going back to his own division, then asks if he can bow out or just take one off in terms of the media tour in which he's already agreed to, The saddest part of this equation is, in that format, he is not able to refute the claims that would have happened in that press conference, or that did happen, in which Nate Diaz only has to say, I beat you, end of sentence. Because that statement is all Diaz has to say. Beat his ass. And it wins. (laughs) Like... Do you understand rhetorically how like Conor McGregor spent that entire time spending and crafting that message so that he could say what he needed to say to stand up for his convictions, a.k.a. to get the UFC to play a game to whatever demands he's actually putting out there? And Nate Diaz just said, you guys fucking ass beat and wins the argument. 
<laughs> Thanks for doing the Nate as you uh, strolled into it. That was fantastic press. And he did. He got his ass beat. He tapped out Wait, Kevin, the second round from getting pummeled. Beautiful chance. Kevin, that hold we, on. I need to I need to correct you on that, okay? Because our comment section oh, went on I'm, fire, Kev. I've, it was on fire. I forgot. Because about here's what you need to remember, Kev. Yeah. Okay. Conor McGregor was winning that fight till he wasn't. Do you remember that? Were you there? No. No. Let's let's actually address this. So we had a couple people. But you're right. Wasn't <laughs> we had a couple touching. people who were saying. Maybe I missed some things because to me it looked like a one-sided ass beating the moment the second bell rang. The first round looked like a lackluster feely sesh. But, but Kev, here's the thing. People are claiming, and this is as per quoted on our, our Facebook wall, people are claiming that Connor got his ass beat. Getting choked and losing a fight isn't getting your ass beat. What is? Like what? What is then getting your ass beat? And if you disagree with this person on Facebook, you should go to iTunes, leave <laughs> us a five star review, and explain why. Because here's the interesting thing, Kevin. Apparently, I guess it's just submissions count for less than now. Like less than if you're what? choking, <laughs> like they just what? count for less. Life, you know, Kevin, you might have actually uh, been winning the whole time, but man. I choked you out, so like I just got it away easy. Not that I could have taken out your life by continuing to choke and by honoring your decision to bow out of it. But uh, here's the thing: Did you remember? And this is why we're all bringing it up. This whole conversation online, you guys can go look at it for yourselves. It's totally fine. Uh, it's on our Facebook wall, and it is in response to the Nate Diaz uh, video that we posted up. Kev, do you remember Conor McGregor outstriking Nate Diaz? No. Entirely? No, I don't. And I'm in the really first round though. Turtling. You remember that? Yes. I remember Connor McGregor throwing some strikes, getting Nate a little bit, but not like a one sided beating. But did it look like Connor McGregor though, with those punches, was just getting the best of Nate Diaz? Like Nate Diaz was out on his feet. No. And he was just getting his ass beat. I, no, I, Nate I, Diaz I was still in the fight. And more importantly, this is the best part. When I go to actually put the statistics in here to our good friend Dan Halpin, I was like, here's the statistics. And he's like, if you use CompuScore, I can't even take you seriously right now. And I'm like, there's no other way to argue punches, which would then give your arguments there are two ways. Both What's eyes, that, baby. <laughs> left and the right. And you think, yeah. what does my dick tell me? And when you realize... It's too high pitched to hear. You go to a different strategy, which is just beating. I'll say this, though. Go ahead. Kev, I just think it's this. I think that we all agree Conor McGregor is interesting. He's cool, great fighter. I thought he was definitely uh, taking the fight in the first round to Nate Diaz, but I never thought at any point Diaz was so overwhelmed. And then when you do have to credit Nate Diaz for punching the shit out of Conor McGregor in the second round, and making him have to do that single that was terrible, it's because he was desperate. So I guess that's where we all get a little bit like, really? I'm pretty sure it was a, a definitive finish. And yet, because of that, <clears throat> that's what makes what Nate Diaz did so great. And the fact that, yeah, he's deserved a vacation. 
But it's an interesting game because here's what happens next. Ariel Hawani, who's been recently ousted by Fox, is now able to report on his own accord. Goes to a fan Q&A session as part of that big press conference where everybody's there except for Did, uh, our good Connor. friend Conor McGregor. <laughs> yeah. like, except for... <clears throat> and did, you saw the, the little smile he gave the crowd when Ariel stood yes. up because it was like he got his little juxt and his nice gap shirt with his color. He just <laughs> looks so happy. So Kevin, why don't you summarize what Ariel said to Dana? Well, so I actually only saw the question he asked. Con- yeah, or I'm sorry. The, he asked Nate because what he was doing was he was very clearly, he was like, you know, Nate, Dana said you're fighting on this card, but what is you're saying you will only will, will fight Connor. And he confirmed that. And in true, like Nate, mode it was kind of like yeah all right <laughs> and you could see it click and arrow's like you know that wasn't quite what i needed just to be clear it's conor mcgregor or no one and nate diaz gave us the big thumbs up on that and then said he was going on vacation if it if it wasn't conor i'm going on vacation and dana just kind of laughed in the background which i found particularly unsettling so here's the interesting aspect that's the follow-up to that, which is <clears throat> you have at this point now, you have Ariel Helwani, who's been fired by the UFC or by Fox or whatever, or no longer working with them, however we want to cut it. Looks like they have some bad blood in some way. Then saying, well, how does that make any sense? Nate, you want the fight. Connor wants the fight. Dana, why can't we just make this fight happen? And then some people, who I guess were smart enough to do this sort of thing, put a thug life thing over Ariel Hawani for asking that question and Dana quickly buries it because what it really gets back down to is logically we as fans can't figure out why they can't resolve this if that's the only fight that's going to make sense there so yes that does give even more proof to your idea that there is some collusion potentially going on we don't know or just that all sides don't know how to fucking put their point in a way that's clearly a narrative we can all get behind now here's the nice bonus of this whole thing i expect everybody and their mom choke him to just run over dana wanted wanted to rip him apart he wished he was still working fox news at that point but here's the nice benefit of the whole thing which is that every fighter in the world then got behind conor mcgregor not saying all of them but a good number of them get behind him because it's easy to then identify that they want those things. They think it's a terrible thing they have to go out and do this progress, publicity and this press all of the time. So they're hitching their wagons to Conor McGregor for a point that still doesn't make sense because they're like, I don't really give a fuck if he's got a beef with Dana or Nate. But yeah, I hate talking to Susie and Tim too. And I ask you this, Kevin, as a fan, <clears throat> is there a harm in doing that? Because it should be part of the game, but they're saying that it's just too much work. Like fighters should just be fighters. Yeah. Shut up. Uh, LeBron James and Steph Curry <laughs> don't get that amenity right now. They're answering press questions for like 47 minutes to six hours after every game. This is what real sports are about. People want to talk to the big shots and Connor wanted to be a big shot and he is a big shot. And that's why people want to talk to him. That involves press. And I cannot imagine the stresses that puts on training. I'm also not a professional MMA fighter, so I've never put much thought into trying to get around that or understand it. I will ask you this, and I'm yeah. Is this at all feel like a little bit that Connor's been kind of 
selling that maybe he spent too much time doing press at the last fight and not enough time fighting and using sort of a syllogism trying to explain the third secession of that argument. The third part of that argument is, yeah. so I lost because I was busy promoting and not fighting. Because it's it does- the subtext, but I wouldn't say it's the full aspect of it. I, I think what you're alluding to is something he would quell as saying in a fighter's heart, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm just trying to be here for the fight when, you know, I don't get paid to do promotion, et cetera, et cetera, which a lot of fighters are like, hey, I don't get paid to do anything for fucking promotions. He's right. Well, that's true, but that's a different issue. If you want to combine those issues together, then yeah, maybe you need a fighter's union. Maybe you need a better, more logistical argument that's going to appeal to this. If you want to use Conor McGregor as your linchpin because he's the biggest star, that's fine. I understand that, and I can understand your plight as a fighter. But also understand that the whole reason we got excited for his fights was because this is the same guy who stole fucking Jose Aldo's belt, and he seemed to be enjoying all of those times when it was promoting his fight then, and now for him to not do it, it just doesn't logically make sense. So I'll put forth the following theory, Kev, and you can tell me differently. Okay? Please. Do you think that Conor McGregor had a hard time trying to figure out how to work around being the underdog in a fight that he's asking for in a press conference setting? Is there some possibility that maybe, just maybe, he couldn't spin his way into his normal nonsense of, I'm going to kill you, I've changed the game, when he got beat? And that all Nate Diaz has to do was exactly what he did on that stage. Is there any part of that? I again, well, you're now you're really teasing me back into this is all sort of a nice production because yeah, I think there's a big part of that, and I do think right now they have found an unbelievable way of making Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor somehow extremely likable in this whole situation, which is bizarre. So on the one end, while I do understand the UFC's position, and I think it's kind of good that Dana doesn't make any kind of exception for Connor in this way. I think Connor played his hand wrong. I think Shale Sonnen actually said as much. Do you? I think the interesting thing for the UFC, though. That surprises me. I thought you would have said it's worth the money. I thought you would have said what they're doing right now is probably worth the payday. Uh, I would say this. I would say, Unless because that brings happen. me to the next point. I was, <laughs> you would I was guess if bring it doesn't happen, not a payday. Go on. Well, okay. Uh, here's where I was going with that point, which is, while I can respect it and say, like, it's good not to make an exception out of anybody, we're in an ego standoff. It could be all collusion. But there's a report that just came out that said the UFC is set to lose $45 million if Conor McGregor stays out. So you mean what? to tell me that this is a bullheaded decision by Dana and company to make an exception out of a fighter that they're going to take a financial risk on potentially. And I don't know what that step me, statement can even mean. Does that mean that they're just taking out all of the beer sales that they would have gotten from Irish fans? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a lot of money. Dana runs a stunny is just like, hey, fucking find out how much money we lose in beer. Oh, shit. Forty five oh, fucking oh, billion. Connor's back on. <laughs> Get that fucking fuck over here. Yeah. So I think we're at an interesting impasse. We, Kevin, I'll ask you one more we time. We still have been Would right. Would you be surprised? We've still been right. If he ends up on UFC 200. Because Dana says, no way, Jose. 
He's off that card. It's for real. But if we're going to see your work sort of angle all the way through, does he appear on that card? Yes, I do think he still does. And we're getting we're about a week away from it becoming very surprising to me because I and I say that to say, what's the last possible date? Because this card 200 in June. It's the first week of June. Right. So uh, this card uh, is actually the first week of July. Oh, the first week of July. I'm sorry. So how much time realistically do we have? I would say maybe two more weeks at the most before it Dana really is that stupid. Right. Or okay. that honest. Okay. He might be that I, honest. Well, that, I will say this the, and Conor McGregor fans are right in this instance, which is that he did step up for the UFC a couple times. Like, you know, he did offer to take fights, uh, you know, with completely new people. And, and that's part of the game. So, there is some leeway for him to be given there, but making a hardline stance is making it in that weird category of, all right, guys, you're going to con- really stick to this sort of thing. Now, it's been said that people were already looking at past OSP, and we'll talk a little bit about OSP uh, in a minute, but they were already saying that John Jones should headline his rematch with DC at UFC 200. And it now appears that Daniel Cormier says the only way he'll do that is if one of their press stops is in New Orleans because he's got family there and that's where he'd like to go. Okay. Would that also be making an exception for an individual, Kevin, if they ended up doing that? I don't care. That I, it, well, I guess, yeah, that's a slightly different exception. <laughs> Daisy being, ah, fuck you. He'll kind of cruise math it on his way out. Would you be surprised? You got gut up or down? Is he gonna fight Connor and are Connor and Nate? Are they gonna fight UFC 200? It's tough because I feel like the ego now is taken over. I feel like if they were gonna slip him on, it would have been you know it would have been a genius design if it was a pretend feud that they orchestrated so that Connor could have gotten off of it, held his tantrum, then they would have been like, hey. Hold a tantrum, and then we're going to let you get off like that, and then we'll put you back on. So that way you're still on the card. You get a tantrum, minor press sort of thing, and you get more time to train as well. And it would have worked for all parties, but they seem to be telling us this. And while I want to believe it's a work, there is also a part of me that says there's a lot of ego involved. So something's got to drastically change. So if I were to say right now, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on that card, but it would have to be a lot of somebody swallowing some kind of ego pride. And I don't know who I would see do that. It would probably be Dana, but it's not swallowing your pride when you make millions of dollars. It's something else, isn't it? (laughs) Swallowing point is it goes back to the Ariel Hawani question, which is he wants it. He wants it. Why not make it? And the answer is, because they're trying to make an example of him. So, yeah, I think at that point there is some sort of ego involved because it's not just he wants it, he wants it. It's a, he wants it, for, he wants it, and a fan wants it as well. It's an example for other people that will make them millions of dollars. Don't you be careful. And if you threaten to make us more. It's more so the UFC trying to tell the fighters you need to stay in line. And that's the part I think that fighters don't like. 
But at the same point, <clears throat> it's a tough line to sell because if they start giving exceptions to Connor, then they're going to have other fighters who may reach that certain point and start dicking them around a little bit too. So there's tons of that sort of ideas and concepts, but it was something that we thought we needed to address because it got into the area of rhetoric and argumentation. And while I think it's entirely cool that you guys get behind Conor McGregor, I just hope you have some good answers for at least some of those points that we brought up because I don't see them yet. And I don't think Conor's presented them and the UFC surely has not presented a number of them as well. But I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens now. It's exciting theater, and it's uh, only heating up from here. We have until July, people, so everybody buckle in. Usually the start of the summer is boring. Not this year. I believe one year we went over the entire summer's worth of it. Hey, it's hard to remember when you've been doing a multi-year podcast, Raph. <laughs> the Eddie Bravo Invitational was this Sunday. I'll do my 45 seconds on just how much fun it was to watch from a observer perspective on using the fight pass crystal clear HD had it nicely on my laptop. So it was mobile in the loft loved every second of it. Got some really good, just really high pace, fast matches. They kept going. They didn't, there's no lag. There wasn't like 20 minutes where it was like, wait, where's a good match? I, I need to scroll. It was just amazing. Fights after another. Love the overtime. Had a blast watching it. Gordon Ryan terrifies me. <laughs> and I thought the Gary versus Yuri fight was everything I wanted it to be. And it was very good. I loved when they listed the weight classes. It was it kept cracking me up that Gary and Gordon were so vicious, and you know that Gordon ended up winning. They were a lot lighter. Then their opponents yeah. came in. Some of them didn't even weigh in. They're <laughs> just like, hey. Well, they you had weigh-ins. You were there. Uh, I was out there for weigh-ins. That was the same night as uh, I was covering I mean, CXF. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, but I didn't get to go to weigh-ins, which I thought uh, somebody was asking me, like, what are they weighing in for? It's an absolute. And I was like, it's kind of just to show up and say, like, hey, what'd you weigh? Good job. High five. Which I guess is the best kind of uh, weigh-in there is. Let's talk about some of the pros first. Let's talk about Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan is a killer. And I think a lot of people are starting to believe if they haven't already. But there's a select number of people who have seen this guy for a good amount of time. We're talking Gary Tonin. We're talking Tom DeBlas. We're talking all of Team Henzo over there. The Danaher Death Squad. They know. And I think the people who have seen him... Uh, compete at even the Nawasa Challenge and at the number of super fights he's been on. He's been taking out high-profile people. And Gary was telling Tom DeBlas, he's like, we got to do something for this kid because he just keeps beating high-caliber talent even when he was a purple belt. Jeez. So no surprise here. I, I think the world of that kid, I think he's he's only beginning because he's 20 years old. Ridiculous. And if you can believe that people are saying that he's good – just wait until you see his brother, and I believe his name's Nicky Ryan, who is already heel hooking people at the age of like what, fourteen? Jeez, it's terrifying to think of that. So, with Gordon Ryan, though, I think the thing that was truly impressive for him was a very smart ability to know how to play the game right. Um, obviously, the first round he was able to secure, I believe, a really good heel hook, right? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And that was fast. He yeah. finished. I mean, he a few of the first fights that ended in submission were quick. Yes. Okay. So that was one of the pros. Another one of the pros, I think, was uh, it was a validation of the event to be put on Fight Pass, and that there were no major shakeups. Like nothing terrible happened. Uh, you know, we we had a lot of really good fan interest, and I thought that the community got behind it pretty well, and that's great to see. They know um, it wasn't quite the card promised. Sure. Because it was lacking Cyborg, it was lacking Vinny, it was lacking Andre Galvao, it was lacking Lister. There were some big names that weren't there. And I mean, that to me, I guess that would be one of the negatives. And I don't know how much you can really blame EBI for this. Oh, I don't. I guess I'm more, it's uh, simultaneously one of those things where it's like they got very lucky with how Gordon Ryan performed and how some of the matches turned out. But that's... uh, it's still a factor, right? When you lose. Well, the reason why I say that is because I think some people have posed the following question, which is have people not come or did people drop out because there were other opportunities, say Abu Dhabi, say uh, trying to make money elsewhere. Maybe they're more concerned with world's camp. And so they were wondering if part of the problem is, is that the only people who are really, really getting paid are the winners of EBI. So my hope, and I I think this is where they're going, I think this is where they're at least trying to head, is to get people some kind of good show money to make them more interested to go. Because just putting any kind of show money is a good incentive. But I think Eddie's secret plan of this whole time is notice how much more into it these athletes get when you add submission incentives. And I want to say that works. But at the same time, how hard is it to submit high caliber black belt status? Like I didn't see many scenarios where Dean Lister. Yeah, I don't think either of us would know where Dean Lister, Andre Galvo or Vinny don't make it to a 10 minute overtime status. I just I ran a lot of those scenarios in my head and they're super great grapplers. But something kept telling me that we would see them in that kind of format. And I think that was part of the appeal. And that that's why it's such a bummer is that I think we all wanted to see what it would look like with them in there. Eddie talked about it a little bit at the weigh-ins and said, of course, he'd love to have big stars, you know, and it's a shame that some of them dropped out. I just felt like it would be so cool to see that uh, just all the way through, because I feel like we saw not exactly that event. However, being said that, it was still a pretty good event. And I think maybe you and I differ just on a slight uh, slight basis, which is I thought in the realm of EBIs, it wasn't the best one. But I didn't think it was bad by any means. I thought it was good. I thought it was like a B average all around. Yeah, I think because uh, the other part about it was it was going to be in Mexico City. And it kind of had this or- original allure of like badass. You're going to Mexico yeah. City and just doing this open invitational with some of the biggest beasts you can find. And I believe in a lot of ways, I think they should have poted up an extra 10 for Gordon Ryan, just for saving things a little bit. This, Cause you know, it was 50. If you submitted everybody along the way, not in overtime. Uh, when I saw the panel, I was like, yeah, you might want to up that. You kind of saved your ass. Great fights. I guess I'm not ready to claim it as the best of the EBIs, but production wise, best EBI. 
that's good to know because just kept moving. The, just kept the moving. live experience was just interesting because big match after big match. Yeah, it was like a lot of the things that make it so great felt like they were on. Um, it felt like the air, just the atmosphere at this one was a little more serious. Uh, maybe because people could tell the severity of like, Hey, Love Hey, me. shut the fuck up. Everybody we're on fucking fight, fight pass. pass act accordingly. <laughs> don't, um, don't yell your normal shit at Eddie. You guys oh, there still that. was some because, uh, man, okay. We need to talk about this in my her. section. I need to tell you about the guy who was a big Yuri Samoas fan. Now, Yuri, I don't have anything against him at all, but there's this one fan who really was believing in him to the point where he was yelling out kind of successory motivational kind of sequences for Yuri. That's like, and I kid you not, this is what I heard him say once, and it will give you an idea as to the rest of the nonsense he was yelling out. But he was saying, all right, Yuri, Let's go for a submission here, which um, is great advice. In a grappling event to say, hey, you know, have you thought about a submission? Yuri Samos, high, uh, high profile black belt practitioner. Like, do you, do you know what submissions are? Do you want to try one? That'd be great. That'd be really awesome if you did. So this dude, no less than I kid you not, Kevin, a hundred times yelled out. This is it, Yuri. You've got it, Yuri. All right, Yuri, take it home. All right, Yuri, put your hip to the ground, Yuri. And like, <laughs> it was cracking my section up. Like, everybody Yuri. around me was just mocking this guy to the point where I think it's somebody when it was Yuri versus Gordon in response to that guy's nonsense just goes, I believe in you, Gordon Ryan. <laughs> and killed. Like, it's just I, I couldn't describe how terrible it was. But like Kevin, every second, every let's say about 10 seconds, this guy yelled out something to Yuri. <laughs> and Yuri was in a lot of matches. So that's a, that's a lot of yelling. He was definitely very involved. Well, uh, and Yuri was a big pissed about, though. I know we had the on deck stadiums. I just still miss it when it was like an elevated platform in the crowd. I understand that that's not logistically realistic. I'm just I'm shooting for the stars here. One day we'll get your go-go cages back, Kevin. I Thank promise you. you. That's all I want. <laughs> the uniforms to it's the same uniform basically. Um, but you know, I mean, it was it was good. Everybody there was seemed to be having a good time. Um, I still think it is the premier grappling event going on. Oh, I think. In that, this felt like a because I, I guess I would concur even with a lot of the problems. Maybe not, you know, I pretty high up there in drama appeal as far as the event. But I think the money was kind of looming over a lot of that. Yeah, definitely the premier grappling currently. That that format just works. It just yeah. really does. And I think that for a lot of the athletes, it's uh, it's a great way of of getting your name out there and. I'm interested to see what they do with the featherweights. So uh, I got to interview several of the people. Uh, we were able to get uh, Gordon, Rustam, Gary, Eddie. And uh, one of the nice parts about talking with Eddie Cummings was I got to chastise him for not being in this EBI and having to drop out, which I think was a, a real service. Yeah, the videos. Uh, the jiu-jitsu community. All the videos are great. First of all, the Civil War video about the potential of the Gordon-Gary matchup. 
the post that what would have happened, which is just you filming Gary beating up a body bag and kind of goading <laughs> him into it, which is also good. Uh, the Eddie video where is he eating acai or just straight up ice cream? Is there a? Oh no, that's acai. Hey, I'm just and making like, sure. I, I didn't know how he goes. I didn't know he was a fat kid at heart with acai. Well, you two have something in common. And Absolutely. I'm saying this with a few question marks. The Danaher video? Yes. Uh, the John Danaher, uh, I've never met this human being. I've Except seen him around. Unbelievable cameos in the GSP UFC videos. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but I've never met him. And I just wanted to go up and say... <laughs> Uh, to him, like, hey, thank you so much. I feel like I know you, Gary and Eddie, talk about you all the time. Gordon is, uh, you know, always telling me good stories about you. Um, I just wanted to say hello. And he immediately looked at me and was just like, oh, that's so great. So what are we talking about? And I was like, oh, we're interviewing? Oh, you'll talk to me? No, yeah, I mean, well, that's your dumb fault. So, yeah, let's do an interview right now. So we have an interview with uh, John Danaher. And... He tells us some really cool insight about what was going on behind the scenes uh, right after Gordon's match with Yuri. And I think you guys will want to see that. That's going to be going up in the next day or so. So we've got uh, an interview with Gary and Gordon. We've got an interview with Eddie Cummings that's up. And we've got an interview with uh, Rustam that is also going up. And then once those guys are up, I think you will see the John Danaher. And he has one comment about me that I've already sent a clip to Kevin about. And I don't want Kevin to say what it is. But maybe Kevin can profess if he thinks it's funny. Uh, I'll be letting the world see this video because no one does Danaher. It, his intensity is beautiful. It's beautiful. But I will say it's directed at one half of this podcast with a big <laughs> smile on my face. Mm-hmm. EBI, nicely done. I think they should keep up that tournament, Raph. I really do. Sounds like they will. The Abu Dhabi Pro has been providing people with either some very good nighttime entertainment or some amazing clips after, both all to be thanks of Flow Grappling, who once again is covering these jiu-jitsu events they're giving us access that we've just never had before you can scroll around the mats and watch your favorite people fight raf you got to see some good fights i saw a ton man um give me a i want to talk a little bit about if you know it's yeah um let's talk about one of the biggest success stories of the entire thing which was uh i think it was junior junior who made it all the way to the final with uh, Felipe Pena, which I don't think anybody had him on any bracket ever. But this is a dude who was just wearing glasses, seemed real unassuming, had a pretty competitive match with uh, Felipe just in terms of, you know, keeping him at bay. He ended up losing to him, but I mean, that's not really a knock. A lot of people lose to Felipe Pena. Um, Five but people was, did since we started this podcast, probably. Yeah, it was it was just really really um, cool to see him make his way through some high profile components uh, to to make it all the way there. I also want to shout out, of course, uh, any Mackenzie Dern match is always going to keep you up because let me tell you, Kev, it's super early in the morning here when those things are going on. So I was going in and out of sleep, but Mackenzie Dern fights were all the rage. They were really cool to watch. Um, I'm trying to think if there was another, I mean, a big shock with Claudio Calzans 
knee barring Homolo. Like who saw that coming? <laughs> Nobody. I mean, besides Homolo. Actually, uh, who Will told me last Friday at the open mat, he was he was like, uh, yeah, Homolo got knee barred. Like, wait, what? Just one of those things that I, it took me a second. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. It's not exactly like it was uh, a ridiculous entry. It was just super well-timed, and it's just weird in the sense that you've never really seen Hulu like that. Uh, he ended up not uh, fighting for third place because of that injury, um, but it looks like from the appearance of the Instagrams, he is back in Northridge, and it looks like he's, he's doing okay. So let's hope that that is uh, no major damage being taken there, but... Let's also talk about the fact that, all right, so you've got that going on. We have to talk about our buddy, uh, I'm sorry, Gabe Argus. Gabe Argus had a fucking awesome awesome. bar. Or I guess it was more like a, I don't even know what you call it. It was more like a cross joke. He's sort of like a bow and arrow transition. It was just to me, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, he happened to, I believe, show me a variation of that. And I've always been like, all right, thank you, Gabe. Um, But Gabe... Let me explain to you guys, if you didn't get the chance to see it, which was Gabe had, you know, he had won a decision. He was up against uh, Satoshi, I think, in the final for his weight class. And uh, he was he was beating him pretty well. So he was ahead on points. And, you know, sometimes decisions can waver. But, you know, if you think you've won and you've got the points, you're you're a little bit happier as you finish the match and you go to decision. Well, the ref ends up raising Satoshi's hand first, and we happened to catch the look on Gabe's face when he saw Satoshi's hand being raised first, and uh, we ended up making a meme out of that, and Gabe very nicely put underneath that, oh, thanks, guys, I was having a heart attack. (laughs) And of course, Gabe R just ended winning, so in his, I think, maybe fourth fifth month of being a black belt he has already captured a major world title at abu dhabi and uh we couldn't be happier for him so there's that uh your boy uh the uh i'm so sorry his name's playing me right now mirigali yeah yeah how's mirigali how do you do he did great i think he ended up taking brown belt of course Uh, he did that's how nicholas Bagali does work (laughs) <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, he had some really high-profile, exciting matches as well. Um, there was just a lot going on. Damn it! How just, did I miss that? Sorry. Uh, I mean, you just need to crush it. Pay a little bit more attention, I guess, Kevin. Is what you need to do. I. Uh, but anyway, YouTube rampage we were, tomorrow. We were stoked to see that happen. Uh, be a mosquito, obviously crazy. Uh, Kalsons versus uh, Leandro Lowe was great. I mean, there's so much there to try and highlight. It was five days worth of great gra- grappling, and I, I love seeing everybody uh, stay up to watch those things. So if you guys have some of your favorite matches that you liked, uh, throw them our way, and we can try and remind people if we see clips go up. Of course, we want them to all be seen through fro grappling themselves. So, yeah. Wits. A fun time to be uh, watching the grapples. As listed here, Rap, you saw some grappling that involved punching at CXF. How was the fights? What's some diva? 
Uh, you know, a number of our friends from Systems Training Center were fighting on that day. Did any of you uh, had... win any submissions after the fight? Not this go round, thank hey, God. Hey, good. Okay, it's nice. I'm just. Uh, we had a, a Dmitry Germanov, who uh, had a really intense fight. Went to decision. Dima got the best of it. But let me tell you something about what Dima did. Okay. I would like to hear some of this told live. This would be good. Okay. All right. So here's what happens. I didn't know that I was going to be cage side for this fight. So they put me cage side. And here I am doing some photography and uh, covering the fights and writing down notes. And I see randomly some dude kick the cage. And I'm looking down at my phone, updating uh, a photo for, you know, keeping people updated. Because we had people who were like, shit, I didn't know this was going on. Or, hey, do you mind keeping us updated on how the fights are going? Dima kicks the cage, looks at me and says, hey, fat ass, why don't you try looking up at the action? Now, I don't know if you've ever had anybody in a cage kick the cage and then try and get your attention. But now I guess I could say I have, Kevin. I was going to say, no, I haven't. And I've also never <laughs> had them yell a little insult at me along the way. Yeah. He's basically like, hey, you fat piece of shit. Why don't you try looking up here? And at which point I look at him and I was like, nah, dude, I'm going to take this one off. So the dude who's sitting next to me is laughing. And he goes, oh, that's your guy? My guy's the guy fighting him. Why don't we bet $500? And I was like, dude, we cover MMA. We don't have that kind of money. I've never even like, seen Like, let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> what, what does $500 look like, dude? <laughs> so he laughs, and I was like, we should not be betting on this. Uh, so sure enough, uh, Dima is doing well. First round looks like he's getting close on a couple submissions. Great movement. His boxing's improved. He comes over. He's going in for kind of a, a takedown, like a double leg, toward the end of the round. There's, like, maybe 30 seconds left, and uh, he, like bulldozes this dude into the cage which happens to be right next to where i'm sitting at which point he spills a drink Son on my lap bitch so imagine the impact of the cage was so massive that my own drink spilled on top of me now what comes next is at this point i'm realizing he spilled the drink directly in the crotchal region sure and uh, it's going to make everybody think like I pissed my pants, Obviously. which I'm like, oh, great. As the comedy guy here, yeah. this is the last great. thing I really need Good to stuff. see. So I, I'm just like, fuck it. There's nothing I can do. There's no paper towels here. There's nothing really I can do. I'm just going to keep shooting photos. The guy who had tried to bet me $500, the other reporter, looks at me and is like, you're a fucking professional. <laughs> I was like, fine. He goes. You didn't stop taking photos with either your camera or your cell phone that entire time. And I was like, yeah, dude, what was I going to do? I'm legit. What can I say? So anyway, uh, you know, that happens and Dima wins the fight and we're very happy. And I ended up interviewing him after you guys can catch that on our YouTube page along with our interviews from EBI over the weekend. And I take him to task for doing that. And then we get interrupted by our good friend, Cody Bollinger. Now, I don't want to ruin what that scene looks like, but I would highly encourage you guys to go see. And if you know Cody and you know me, you can only imagine the way he was trying to interrupt that interview. And uh, I didn't expect it. It was not planned. Nothing was written down. But it's the kind of interview magic. It's one of my favorite interviews 
and it's something I, I would highly recommend you guys go check out. So there's that. But yeah, uh, Terry on Ware had a massively amazing fight uh, as well. Just put on a really great show. I was so proud of the guys from Systems. Um, I didn't take that guy's $500 in fake money, but I, I should have, and I probably will next time. But all in all, I, I can't thank those people enough. It was it was a good time, and I hope uh, they end up coming back around my neck of the woods again. Can't thank them enough. That's awesome. I'm so jealous. Had a drink spilled on you. By the- <laughs> it's just like, you look at it, you go, of course he spilled the drink on me. Of course he did. What a dick. A lot of his efforts. We've got some over under 197 to get to. It's time to settle this. I might lose some weight. We'll see. Hey guys, welcome back. So here's the deal. You know that once we have a UFC one over one. 97 wherever we are uh not 200 uh we always do over under kevin which means that it is time to check in and see how that went so we brought back our good friend drew weatherhead from because jitsu but kevin before we talk to him let me ask you how do you feel about your picks i uh, i guess i i guess i felt better before mighty mouse decimated his opponent Mm. i I made some comments. You've made a uh, few my, comments over the years about how Demetrius Johnson has like pillow fists. I don't. I don't remember it being a few. Oh yeah, I I'm remember sure. maybe one or one or two. We could uh, uh, cut, super cut a series of Kevin's statements here them to twenty-seven vocally aggressive condemnations of the one twenty-five division. I was impressed. Well, well I was good. impressed by, and I was, was impressed with. With Drew's ability to make you feel dumb the entire time. So let's bring on Drew. Drew, how are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Very well. So uh, we're starting to believe that the connection over in Canada is blocking out some of your reception. So for those of you listening at home, we hope you're able to hear Drew. GSP's abs. Mm. I saw a picture of him today post-training. Guys, could be GSP's abs. That's in, in between us and Drew. But you never know. Just remember, Kevin works... IT at his job. <laughs> so that's a very technical explanation. I take his word for it then. <laughs> uh, so, Drew, how do you feel about your picks? Do you feel that you won? Don't tell us if you know, but do you feel that you won? And if so, why? Um, well, I'll put it this way I haven't been checking my gee closet to see which ones I'd use. Mm, yes, the bet that you made against Kevin, which is the loser has to Death, do a series of burpees in two gees. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, Kevin, let me ask you this. Um, you watched the whole event. Uh, what stood out for you at UFC 197? I had a blast, first and foremost. It was an edgy night of fights. If I'm picking some standout performances, uh, there are a few that come to mind. There was the most lethal kick to the face I've seen since Uriah Faber nearly killed Adam. Um, let's Hall. see. What's up? Uriah Hall, not Uriah Faber. Uriah Hall, excuse me. <laughs> I did I not know that uh, Faber's legs books. are long enough to create a kick that would have that devastating of a knockout, but I might be wrong. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. 
You guys do not. I would just Uriah Faber at this time. It was Raph and Drew that got into your leg reach. All good. Just want that. Uriah and I are homies, so like he knows that he would actually listen to me. But like you and him have never met, so you wouldn't know. Um, let me ask this though, Drew. When you're watching an event, does it change a little bit for you? Do you get a little nervous? Because we ask this for all our guests because it is important. When you do put a bet, that's fine. You put some money you lose some money whatever but when you bet on this particular program are your senses heightened when you're watching this are you a little nervous where are you at yes 100 percent. i do not want to do 100 burpees i don't have to <laughs> i'm you... physically nervous i can't do 100 is it i'm sure people have been thinking about this since the bet was made it's like drew's you know he's got a brown belt he'll just kind of persevere through through that angst i might die yes. just food yeah. for thought people this is a real close opportunity but i'm so glad that we would be able to do it for the sake of this program <laughs> what a way to go i, feel, it, I, I hope it's like a respectable evil role in this <laughs> i hope it's a respectable number of burpees like if i die after like 24 that's embarrassing but all right 83 what's the so it's a respectable number to bow out. Let me tell you guys this. Uh, I unfortunately did not get to see any of the event. Uh, I was at a party that night uh, for my good friend Austin Stack, who has guested and taken on Kevin in one of these, uh, actually. But I was trying to live vicariously through everybody's comments. So, Drew, what was uh, a favorite moment of yours from UFC 197? Was there anything in particular that shocked you? Because one thing you guys haven't even remotely talked about yet was John Jones and how he looked. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, a fight that was full of leg reach. I think they need to adjust their stack significantly <laughs> after that. There was a lot was of leg reach. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, you seem to be very jumpy about this topic, so I want you to go ahead and discuss. What was it about John Jones's return? Because while you seemed excited about it, there were a lot of people who seemed um, less than enthused, bored, and they even started to boo him in the ring, which actually did affect John Jones what? because he said he's never been booed before, at least in the ring. Wow. Okay. First, I didn't know he was being booed. They were too busy. Goldberg, Drew, did you watch the fights? Yes, I did. Goldberg, Raph, spent the last, I mean, pretty much since John Jones came out, just razzing Daniel Cormier. And not directly, but in like every time Corbier was like, oh, yeah, he doesn't, he looks like he's a little slow on the right. Goldberg would immediately jump in and be like, he's not going to be that way when you guys fight. Am I right? Like, he's going to be in top shape. And you could just, he wouldn't shut the F up about it to the point where that was all they were talking about. They were not talking about Ovin St. They were barely mentioning that OSP was fighting at multiple points. They were like, oh, he's really, he's still in there. That's great. I was impressed by John Jones. I liked him shaking off the rust. I believe that fight would have looked differently if he was fighting Daniel Cormier. But he struggles with big athletic people. He always has. He's taken on anyone that's smaller than him and just destroyed them. But longer people have a shot. Okay. That's what I thought. Uh, great I analysis, that. Kevin. Really getting to the heart of it. Um, Drew, have you seen John Jones murder smaller people? Is that really a, a thing that's a, a credit to his entire legacy? Well, uh, let's see, murder smaller people. He did hit a pregnant woman in a car once. Mm -hmm. so, Presumably smaller. I don't, I don't, don't know. I don't know the results of that one. But Maybe yeah, we should I mean, keep our analysis to inside the ring because the John yeah. Jones outside of the ring has a losing record. True that. 
Okay, well, yeah. um, he looked like he killed Machida the one time, who was slightly smaller than him. That, like, thank literally you. Yeah, executed. That's him. right. Yeah, but I wouldn't call Daniel Cormier exactly smaller than him. Like, yeah, sure, a few on the height, but you know, in the round. Yeah, DC's got him in the round, no doubt. Okay, so, and maybe you can help me understand this, Drew, because I'll ask you the same question, which is, why were so many people bored with what John Jones was? It seemed like they want the old John Jones. Come on, that old John Jones, all that bullshit. What, what was it that people really missed about him? Or did you find his performance just fine, even though it was so dominant? Nah, I think that it was... Like he mentioned after the fight that he felt like he was hitting maybe 20% of the things he wanted to hit, and it showed. And I think that the audience saw that too. They're used to him hitting 80% more effective strikes, interesting takedowns, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't really happening. (laughs) Kevin, I'm going to ask you this. In the uh, post-presser, I guess, or a little bit later, John Jones says that he was thinking about Daniel Cormier. So I ask you this. Are they lovers? Because when you reveal that you're like, I'm fighting OSP, but I'm thinking about you, DC. It did get sexual. I definitely <laughs> felt a hint of something that it was. He was just like, "Oh, I would love to fight Daniel Cormier." And the way he said it was like <laughs> some slow jazz went on in the back of his mind. Like, oh, it's just like a clip to Cormier eating some KFC out of a bucket, like wow. pouring water on himself. It's kind of hot, but just be glad that Kevin's disturbing. not producing gay porn. For all of our gay listeners. Yeah. Every, everybody yeah, got I'll a shot, a glimpse. It's just a, a real <laughs> slow pain, a lots of eating. <laughs> well, okay. Guys, so, let's stay focused on inside the cage here. Thank you, Kevin. We just wanted to make sure that when you started to drifting off, at least the rest of us could keep our dignity about us. But I do want to ask this. So he says that, but then it also is revealed that uh, OSP broke his arm in there. Did that seem apparent to you, Drew? Because it said, I, I think it was Dana White who claimed it happened in the second or third round. Does that change your perception of any part of that fight? Um, well, honestly, I didn't see it really affect him until like the fourth or maybe fifth round. I think he said himself it was in the third, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There was a big slam in the fifth where it looked like it hurt him. Or was it the fourth? I don't know, later into the championship rounds. But he was tentative with that big left he's known for, for sure. It's interesting because I look at that and it makes me wonder, uh, you know, where John Jones's head is at. So it's revealed later, Kevin, that John Jones does a dance when he is told that he ended up breaking OSP's uh, arm. Is that good sportsmanship? Because we'll get to another element of sportsmanship for uh, John Jones. But would you dance if you broke somebody's arm? I feel like he's overcompensating for what was a flaccid performance. So he's just like, oh, look, I did do something harmful. That's great. Uh, (laughs) I would do it publicly. I might do like a little private. Like That's what happens when I kick, right? But I I don't think I'd do it. It's no one gave OSP. It feels like OSP deserves more credit. It just he does. Okay, so Drew, why does OSP deserve more credit if you think he does? Oh, I don't know. He wasn't really in that fight either, to tell you the truth. He was more like a a fighter dummy to take punches. I didn't see a whole lot of excitement out of him. So it was a warm-up fight in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. 
I was so intrigued by this because if we go back to the lover scorn metaphor, uh, OSP gets defeated. <laughs> then all of a sudden, John Jones leaves the cage and then decides that he wants to pull a middle finger out on Daniel Cormier. Yeah. When asked about it, he just said he wanted to be a jerk. Uh, Kev, mission accomplished? Done. Done and done. Because you got to love a guy that takes a brief sojourn during the grease-up section before he fights to go hug all of his family. And then while walking well, out of the cage, it's like, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> big, big, fat middle figure to the guy he didn't fight. That's great. That's I do want to ask you this because, Drew, did you see this clip? John Jones didn't just hug his family members. There was also a nice right hook that seemed to connect with one of his family members, a female family member, by the way. I did not see that. That's oh, shocking. Oh, man. It's interesting uh, because it was him going down the assembly line of hug for you, hug for you, and punch, and hug for you, and hug for you. It was strange. Family dynamics are different for everyone. I guess so. I guess. You know, the family that punches together probably fights a lot. They definitely have the same lawyer. They do. They do. Um, okay, well, that was the John Jones fight. Drew, did any other major fights stand out to you? Because I'm a blank slate here. I knew the Cejudo thing, uh, getting knocked out. I heard that was great. Uh, John Jones, I heard, was kind of a bore from a lot of friends who said they they just felt like they wanted to see the old John Jones back. And I think it's possible. But I also wondered if maybe uh, the extra strength training uh, may have slowed him down a bit or if it's ring rust or maybe, I don't know. It could be a number of things. But were there any other fights that seemed to really uh, stand out in your opinion? You know, if I were you, um, having not seen any of them, I would go look up the Barbosa and Pettis fight. Yeah. Um, I know oh, that you're yeah. a big fan of the uh, late great prince. And Pettis, I believe, was doing his uh, job in uh, sending an homage to him with a giant purple welt on the inside of his leg from catching about 150 gigantic inside leg kicks. Just like Prince would have wanted. It's exactly like he would have wanted. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here to look at my leg. <laughs> yeah, No, he took a savage beating to the leg. Song title, too, so uh, that was a good one. Kev, did you have any other ones that kind of stuck out to you? Yair Rodriguez threw a flying knee into touchy Feely's face. I did see that one. Oh, that was great. It was, uh, it was great. Well, Kev, you also okay. seem to uh, signal one really important thing, which was you went against your instinct of going for a tough 15 or tough 17, and that ended up working out in your favor this time. I saw that. I, I feel bad for Clint Hester, but it feels good to shake off my streak rust. And it's also a good reminder that Clint on the show was not necessarily working his jiu-jitsu the best. Um, so uh, an arm triangle, again, is the favorite of the show. So Lima. I thought he – I was surprised he didn't like give us a shout-out after. I th it felt like he had been listening to our analysis, so I was okay, surprised. I and for you, Drew, you said that you were picking my sister, and I would love for her to be associated with my family because she is quite the beast. But uh, Carla Esparza, how was her fight? Oh, she dominated. Yeah. It was one-sided. Oh, I mean, that's usually no, the way it works at the for end. Esparza's. But <laughs> at the end, hold on, Drew, she did almost get armbarred. I mean, 
almost armbar isn't even worth an advantage in BJJ. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Kevin. Your purple belt knowledge is uh, of utter uselessness yeah. to yep. the uh, higher belt over here. He's like, you call that a finish? Steve. I apologize. Yeah, no, you yeah. give the uh, almost finisher the advantage. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> Drew, you actually, now that you brought up the Prince meme, uh, because Jitsu, did you have put up the meme that said purple will no longer be known as purple belts? That's me, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it, now the prince belt. It's the prince belt. Asha Principe, I believe it is. I can't <laughs> I can't point to this. <laughs> I think the prince belt is probably the most uh amazing, ridiculous tribute that I saw of all of the past week. Um I wanna ask uh, you I guys. Think they're going to have to make in satin or something. <laughs> I want to ask you, uh, the fight of the night ended up going to Danny Roberts and Dominique Steele, the very fake-named romance novelist. Uh, Was it? Because I don't know. Yeah, I I don't honestly remember. It it looked like two trucks colliding during Mm -hmm. most of the fight. It was just there's a lot of action. Okay, I mean I have that on Fight Pass or on my uh, my DVR, so I should be able to catch up on that one. Uh, And then. at multiple points, you're gonna. It's not okay. You're gonna be like, oh, 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 what? Well, keeps going. on the same side, uh, we've also got Sergio Pettis, who I heard had a great uh, return to form. So we're very happy for him and our good friend uh, Adam Van Rothfelder, who is one of his uh, trainers. So Adam, thank you so much for tweeting at us. That was really nice of you. That was really cool. That was actually the last thing I saw before I entered the party. Was uh, Adam had. Uh, tweeted at us and was uh, so proud. So that was that was awesome to see. Well, Drew, here's the thing: well, you should have seen Sergio's abs. It was like they were painted on when he was like, he looks ready to fight. It's fitness wise. I don't know. And he was. Kev, sometimes it's like you go back and forth. Like, are you a gay porn director? If I were, mm-hmm. Sergio Pettis is like a first round draft pick. Good to know. He's number one, Drew. I think it's time that we reveal the results, and I feel it's important that you say what the results are because I was too lazy to do it myself. Is that why you feel it's important? That's a pretty good reason. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, you know, I'm producing this segment, and I so choose for you to do it because you were vested enough to actually kind of keep track but pretend like you didn't, and I have a general idea of how it went, so why don't you go ahead and reveal the result to us all? Well, how about I ask Kevin? Kevin, how do you feel you did? I uh, am pretty sure I did great on the fight pass card. And that's that's where it kind of stops going great. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good analysis. Um, If we're going to go in ratios, it was about two to one. In fact, it was exactly two to one. I got it at ten to five. So the reason why I had Drew reveal that result, not only because I know it's very fulfilling to him to know that he just dominated you as much as apparently, uh, let's see, Edson Barboza did to Anthony Pettis' leg. But Kev, this is the most important thing you need to know is he did the results and he told me and I was like, yeah, you probably got 10 out of 5. And then I started re-listening to the podcast to kind of write him down. And then at a certain point when it was mathematically impossible for you to win, I stopped listening to it because I was like, nope, there's no way. Even if you got every one of Team these last three fights right, you would not win. Yeah. So 
Uh, let's happen. just say that uh, Drew won this and call it a mercy killing at two to one. Drew, how sweet is victory? Uh, you know, I kind of had a feeling that it was going to go my way before the fights even started because he picked against Mighty Mouse. And that's just, mm. that's a bad omen. And, you know, it's tough for Kevin because his instincts tend to, like, lead him in different ways. And on that one, you would think that he would learn from all of this time that uh, it's hard to bet against Mighty Mouse. I think he let a lot of his personal feelings get involved in that. Kevin, did you feel that same way? You know, uh, maybe. And uh, I guess because I was pretty negative about his ability to knock people out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's what it takes. It takes that doubt to to hit that next echelon of, oh, I'm not just going to boringly stall this out for five rounds with a W. I'm going to attack it. So in some ways, I feel like I should also be getting praise no. for being that extra fire no. that lit the mighty mouse. No. No, because if that was the case, we would have had that going on for every one of his other fights. But this one tended to work out for both of us. And, I mean, the nice part is we get to say that he's a knockout artist. And I have to say, I did see in the post-presser, Henry Cejudo was the most respectable toward his opponent. I, I see a lot of people kind of go into weird press modes of spinning how they did or saying they need to wait to see how things played when they get back to their gym. He literally straight up just said, he's like, I got humbled out there. And you know what? It was great because I got to see what a great fighter looks like. And I thought that was such a real comment that's so classy and and I think is kind of the echelon of what we always try to preach to other people in jiu-jitsu but don't ever practice. So I thought that was a a spectacular uh, little small thing, not uh, to be outclassed by any other thing. So... Drew, uh, let me ask you real quick. Um, how did you feel playing this game? Would you recommend it to other people to play it? And if you did, what would you recommend to Kevin as well to shape up so that maybe he can beat his next opponent? Uh, well, obviously, the Mighty Mouse thing is a, is a guaranteed one. Uh, don't pick against that, man. That's just a bad, bad time. Uh, it was really fun. Thanks for having me doing this. Um, I kind of feel bad that I picked such a brutal uh, challenge for Kevin in this one. But at the same sure. time, I have this evil desire to see the video that he's going to dedicate to yours truly. Um, and uh, I will probably replay it at his funeral. <laughs> will we able uh, be able to see a meme based off of it in some form? Oh, well, probably a video one, yes. <laughs> That's right. great. That's amazing. Everybody's a winner. Everybody's a winner, except Kevin. You know, so you guys got to see this video. He vomits at the... Sometimes you lose. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, if you could take a real Henry Cejudo approach to this, it would be really great. Maybe you see now why I was ending on that. Yeah, I was humbled. And uh, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you still haven't mastered the ability of inflection for the same Henry Cejudo humbledness. No. Well, I haven't gotten knocked out yet. That's still coming. uh, Two to one's a pretty pretty decisive finish in here, Kev. I mean, physically. Like, he got knocked out, and I'm expecting that. So I feel like if you talk to me, maybe at the end of my wake-up, it'll be good. Okay. Well, we'll come back to you after that. Uh, Drew, where can people find your memes, find all of your hilarious stuff that you are doing? I'm on Facebook and especially on Instagram. Check at Because Jitsu and just search Because Jitsu on Facebook. And 
hey, ADCC posted one of mine today, so it was going viral. That was hey! a lot of fun. You'll see them all over the place. That's awesome. Congrats, man. We love it when ADCC posts your stuff. That's really good. Yeah, it always does me a world of good. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I mean, like, the weird part about it is you can never tell what their humor is. <laughs> no kidding. Like, they're just a weird set. Like, you have to have the most specific kind of thing. Because when I've seen our stuff get reposted by them, I'm always like, is that the one? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. If that works for you, then by all means. How I can tell is my phone suddenly starts buzzing a yeah. lot. And I'm like, oh, okay, somebody important shared something. <laughs> yeah, no. Something happened. There's nothing better than somebody messaging you and saying, did you see this? And I'm like, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, we've made new friends over at X or Y or Z today. Uh, well, Drew, you, you do great stuff. You have a tournament coming up as well over in the Canada. Where exactly is that again? Yeah, check it out. It's uh, just north of Red Deer in Black Falls, Alberta. May 28th, Submission Ace Championship, Summer Nogi Classic. That sounds like a cool one, man. And uh, I don't know what a summer's like in the Canada, but uh, I would hope that it, it brings you all the best in Nogi grapplers uh, so that that way they can go out, have a great tournament, and uh, hopefully get to go speak to you because I, I see you're refing and you're all around moving shit around, so... You know, they should be able to give you a little bit of shit. I feel like that's the thing we could truly inspire our listeners to do to you. Uh, don't worry. Promoters get nothing but that all day long. <laughs> I just figured you didn't get enough. So I wanted to make oh, sure okay. that we were we were doing our part to help the cause. Well, here's the thing, Drew. You're good people. We can't thank you enough for coming on. We were so glad to get you on. And we're so happy that you were able to uh, join us again this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Drew Weatherhead from Because Jitsu. Thank you again for joining us, my friend. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. See, we were excited. I mean, we were excited. Some of us. Humbled. Check. I, you know, I feel like uh, Anthony Pettis. And I know he has won before. And um, you struggle to do so? I don't know if. The he has won before, yes, Anthony showed. But the point here quite a is, few times, yeah, Not and like maybe a, he held the title. Win. Maybe he did, mm-hmm. but we still share the same struggle. We're in a little bit of a rut. Over under Kevin has not been going great for me, but I'm gonna bounce back just like I know he's gonna bounce back. How's mm-hmm. that's uh to stay positive to the guy that got knocked out by Mighty Mouse, uh, who also encouraged to go up a weight class. So I don't know how magnanimous it was. <laughs> it's good to get humbled, but. Here tonight, we have done an exquisite podcast. I'm feeling great about it. And now it's time for some shout outs. You probably have a lot because whoever was feeding you the drinks at CFX or all this stuff. Uh, I'll start Jibera BJJ. Raph, it feels good to have a gym. Feels good to be going regularly. Feels good to be getting beat up profoundly again the end of that sentence <laughs> things are going great got a little nogi class in shout out to uh, will runs the daytime classes feels, it's fun to have the daytime classes Just sneak away for lunch go get some bjj training in uh nearly tore off my hip on accident just a little hip flexor so one of those moments where it was like gonna need to stretch and 
I encourage people to do 10 to 15 minutes of stretching after BJJ. I read some articles. I'm just throwing that out there. And I spoke to my parents on the way in, and I was telling my mother I was about to do a podcast. She was like, oh, tell everyone hi. I was like, I will do that. So hi from my mother. That's going to do it for me, Ref. That's amazing. I won't make fun of your mother. I'll make fun of you, but she's good people. Uh, let's go ahead and start here. Let's start with all of our friends at EBI. Let's uh, single out our good friend uh, Blanca Melissa Garcia, who was so nice to extend the invitation for us to come and cover. It is always a good time to be there. Uh, she was busy as hell. And you guys, if you're looking at any photos, a majority of them are going to be Melissa's. And they're gorgeous. Blanca Melissa Garcia's. And they're most well of them are going to be uh, the good ones. Those are usually hers. So our thanks to her. My thanks to everybody who I ran into over there, Kev. Like, I can't tell you. It's like a mini reunion whenever they do these things. You just run into the whole world. (laughs) I don't have enough time to really uh, point out people by name. But I would like to just kind of uh, specifically give shout outs to our good friends at Datsusara. Datsusara Chris was there. I got to check in with him for a little while. Um, I got to check in with our buddy uh, Juan Bernardo, who was in the Batman vs. Superman short. We got to check in with uh, Jim. That is right. Uh, Jim Lawson. Jimbo was there straight off of uh, competing over at UFC Torrance, uh, just at that gym there and having a really cool competition going on. They sat me right in back of Hickson. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, I saw the tweet. <laughs> and okay. You know, you got to breathe. I mean, fortunately, you two have met before. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's all hat now. But there is one part about having Hickson in front of you that is a little um, hard to navigate when you are a photographer, which is there's no such thing as, hey, uh, Hickson, down in front, please. (laughs) Nope. You're going to be very careful with your language. So you really just kind of navigate through there and move around we want to give a shout out to our friends at the mma complex they're good folks we hope they're doing well their interviews are good not quite our good but like okay good uh so give them a listen you guys let's go ahead and shout out i do have to say this about these guys though kevin mm-hmm. i had some time to talk with uh, the guys from inside bjj i don't want to say that things are going south with them but they might be, Kevin. You can tell. Like you can just I mean, sort I, of I, feel it ripping I, at the seams. I'm just letting you know that it sounds like they're up to some shit. And I don't appreciate it. I don't approve of it. And uh, I just have to say this to you. Keep your wits about you, Kev. Well, my 37th favorite podcast, if we're just talking about MMA friends, um, mm-hmm. I would hate to have to bump them from that title. So they better be careful. I know. I know, definitely. So keep that in mind. Um, I don't want to tell you what they said. I'll tell you off air, but just so you know that. Uh, anyway, let's go ahead and shout out everybody at EXF. I want to go ahead and thank uh, Jonathan King. I want to thank all the guys from Systems. It was so nice to see them. I especially want to thank Vince Cachero for uh, filming and uh, acting as an interim uh, camera operator for my interview with Dima. Uh, obviously, Christos, Marcus, Ian, all of those guys. Just great stuff. And Tarion, it was great to see your fight as well. I also want to thank Alex Perez for serving as a cameraman with me at EBI. That was some great shit there. He is, man, 
Alex is just fucking the man. That's really all you could say about this. I also want to shout out my gyms. I want to shout out Valley Martial Arts Center. VMAC! VMAC, great training going on today. Hassan just killing it, listening to Prince. And I had no complaints when I walked in and I heard Prince being played. So uh, definitely honoring the man that way. And uh, great training going on over with those good folks. I also would like to shout out Breakdown Academy. So the good folks over there are also training really nice and hard. Shout out to Zach who competed over the weekend. Great, great opportunities for him. And uh, I'm going to love hearing all about it when I see him next. So I think that's going to take me to most of my shout outs, you guys. If I forgot you, like Hanato Loranja, who I ran into, who was doing commentary for CXF, I apologize. Or to like Gary Tonin, Gordon Ryan, uh, Eddie, Atavia, um, John Danaher, the entire John Danaher death squad. Uh, I please forgive me. Obviously Jeff as well. Um, they're great people and getting to see Gary and uh, Gordon at a seminar yesterday was so great. Gary gave me some amazing tips for my game. So I look forward to implementing them. And I also want to thank the good people at Peterson's grapplers for uh, hosting the seminar. I've been wanting to go to see Brian Peterson in his new facility and it is rock solid so my thanks to him and megan prosciutto for the invite and uh i look forward to coming back there because it looks like they've got some uh good things going on that way so that'll do it for me on shout outs guys that's gonna do it for us tonight here at verbal tap i'm kevin thanks for listening good night good fight Thank you.